Well, good morning, Elevation Church. What's up? How are you all today? Elevation Online, you know, why don't you send me a high five or some hands in the air in the comments just to let me know you're with us today. We are so excited, uh, man, about this series realignment, and I'm so honored that Pastor Daniel has me coming in to speak in this moment. He's on vacation right now. Hope you're enjoying yourself. You Can I just talk to you, Pastor Daniel? You know, after you watch this service, man, relax. Be with the family your team's got this thing on lock, okay? So just relax. Can y'all give it up for Pastor Daniel and his family? We all need a vacation at some point. And, you know, as, as Pastor Daniel started this series, Realignment, he, the first week, talked about, you know, the believer's privilege. And when you have that privilege, we have an obligation to do something to make other people's lives better. And then in week two, he talked about the blessing and redemption. And in this message, he had a lot of the I am's that are in the book of Ephesians, and it was powerful. But today, I believe that God has a succinct word lining up with that, that we are going to enjoy today that is going to be incredible. Are you with me? Did you come expecting today? So, okay, let's just, let's dive in as God begins to speak to us. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible with one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible right here. And it reads this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. It's a real simple title. You are God's masterpiece. Father, today, spirit of revelation and wisdom, drop in this place right now. Drop online. Meet us right where we are. Speak life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I think about the word masterpiece, I think about some of the great artists and some of the great works that we see all around the world, all throughout history. But the word masterpiece means a person's greatest work of art. That when something is a masterpiece, it is this person, whoever it is, their greatest work. And I think about my life. You know, at the age of 14, I experienced what I call the life-changing moment. I grew up in the inner city in St. Louis in an area called Walnut Park, which is on the city's north side. And my mother, at the age of 14, made an executive decision, as most moms do. She's like, you're not going to go to the high school in the neighborhood. I'm going to send you to Bayless. So I went to Bayless. Any Broncos in the house? Hoo-hoo! Just me. It's all right. Bayless was for me. <laughs> and at the moment my mother made that decision, for me, that would be the last solid decision that she would make because she was also diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. So here's this 14-year-old who is already going through the awkwardness of teenagehood who now lives in two worlds. One world in the inner city, and now another world that is totally different than his at Bayless in South County. And I was in this place with my mother's illness and the change in lifestyle of going to a school that was totally different than any place I'd ever been. 
And there was a season of my life where I lost my identity. Now, I call it a season. You may call it decade or so, about 15 years. So all depends on what you want to call a season. But it was about 15 years that I lost my identity. And, and here was the challenge that I faced. The challenge that I faced was in my house, we couldn't talk about my mom's illness. And now at school, I'm in a different world that I'm getting acclimated to a new group of friends. And what began to happen inside of me is I began to feel like everywhere I went, I didn't measure up. I call it the scarcity mentality, that we all have a scarcity mentality that can sometimes speak to us. And the scarcity mentality is this. It is the insecurity of saying, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not uh, articulate enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. Whatever you want to feel you're enough with, that's what I went through. And I would imagine that many of us go through the same I'm not enoughs. That when we walk into environments and situations where we're not comfortable, that there is a thought that comes to your mind that I am not adequate enough to face the moment that is in front of me. And it is that place that I realize when I don't know my identity, I can't be solid in my security. That without knowing who I am, every moment I go into will end up being a place that exposes the insecurity that's already in me. Now, I know you're out there and you're like, no, I'm perfect. I got it all together. I don't have any insecurities. You're the very one that we're talking to today. <laughs> Because there is a level of it inside of all of us, if we would really admit it. There's a book by the, the name of Happier Approach. The, the author's name is Nancy Jane Smith. And she said there are three voices in our heads at any given time. Now, for the sake of none of us being assigned to an insane asylum, we're going to say thoughts. Because if you're hearing voices today, we may have to have prayer at the end of service for you. <laughs> we're going to say thoughts. And there are these three thoughts that whenever you're faced with a moment of challenge or difficulty come to our mind. The first one is, it's the BFF thought. And the BFF thought is, hey, no, you're good. You don't really need to try that. We're fine where we are. Don't launch out any, anything new or different. Let's just be. Then there is the biggest fan thought. Now, the biggest fan thought is the one that acknowledges where you are but pushes you further to greatness. But I think most of us deal with this one thought called the monger. Sounds menacing, doesn't it? The monger. And the monger is that inner critic that whenever you launch out to do something you've never done before, whenever you want to do something that is significant in your life, it speaks back to you and says, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this enough. And it is that monger that we all face at some point in our lives. And I want to help you today with this thought. Because the monger tells you that you're flawed, that you're off, that you're not this or that. I want to help you with this statement. We are all flawed. Even the person who looks like they have it together, they're flawed in some shape, form, or fashion. You know, when I took my public speaking class, they said, you know, admire or no, look at everybody as if they're in their underwear. That never worked for me. Never, ever, 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 ever worked. 
But what began to help me was that I'm not the only one struggling. That as I stand on a stage or as I stand, that everybody has a stage that they stand on in life in some shape, form, or fashion, and we all are flawed, and we all have something inside of us that monger speaking to us saying, you're not enough, you're not enough. And it whispers, no, it doesn't whisper. It actually speaks loudly. You're not enough. You, you, something's wrong with you. That marriage didn't work because something's wrong with you. You didn't accomplish what you wanted to accomplish because something's wrong with you. If you were better, this wouldn't have happened. If you were smarter and the monger is crying out to get your attention because the monger is the enemy speaking to you, trying to get you to stop. If I can read this portion of scripture, it proves we're all flawed. It says, once in Ephesians 2 and 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many and your many sins, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, everyone else but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. So we recognize that we're all flawed. We're all, we all had a, a horrible starting point. We all are jacked up, messed up, tangled up in some shape, form, or fashion. And the only place we find our true identity is not in the neighborhood I grew up in, is not in the family that I was born into, but it is in Christ Jesus alone that I find my identity. <laughs> See, when I understand that my identity is in Christ, color doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Neighborhoods don't matter. The only thing that matters is we all bleed the same red blood. And it is the same blood of Jesus that made us all right with him. So therefore, when I understand that my identity is in Christ, See, I believe that identity is like the foundation to a house. If your identity is wrong, the house that you build on is off. And it's like when I find myself building my identity in money or status or whatever else, what ends up happening is my identity is fragile, and it's a place where the monger can get into and mess up my whole world. Can I help you with this? When your identity is off, you marry wrong. You parent wrong. You lead wrong because you're leading out of something that has no solid foundation. You know, Satan has always been after our identity. When you look back at the Garden of Eden and when he tricked Eve and Adam, and after sin had entered the world, Adam and Eve began to notice that they were naked. Notice they didn't know it. they were naked before this. And God asked this significant question to Eve. Who, who told you you were naked? I never told you that about you. 
I never told you you were fat. I never told you you were ugly. I never told you you weren't enough. You're getting information from the wrong source. And what ends up happening is he's always wanted our identity. I never told you that you're not good enough to worship me, even though you're in a struggle and you're trying to get over something. I never told you that you weren't good enough to live for me when you're in the middle of one of the most difficult times in your life. And the monger speaks, but grace is greater. And this is what I understand, that when Paul begins to talk to Ephesus about their identity, there's a reason why he spent so much time on this. See, Ephesus was, it was this huge commerce city built around idol worship of Diana. And so everybody built their commerce, built their identity on the worship of Diana. And in this, now you have Christians who are coming to God, but they're still struggling with the old identity, that they're still struggling with how they made their money, and they're still struggling with how they found their significance. And Paul spends significant time telling them, this is who you were, but this is who you are. This is what you used to be, but this is who you are today. This is how you used to live but this is how you are today and he says this beautiful thought in Ephesians 2 and 8 he says God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it's a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it And then he goes on to say, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us for good works. And when I think along those lines, God doesn't make junk. That at the moment I devalue myself and say I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, the moment I agree with the monger, I'm not really discrediting me, I'm discrediting my designer. Because when I speak badly about myself, what I'm saying is the one who created me made a mistake. The one who created me is flawed. The one who created me, isn't, he isn't really good at what he's doing. Because if anybody is a mistake, then everybody is a mistake because we all have the same creator. And when I begin to speak those negative, when I begin to agree with those negative thoughts over me, it's really not an indictment on me. It's an indictment on the one who created me. And when I begin to think about I am God's masterpiece, it's like God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. He created me. And listen, I wasn't just formed. I was created. I wasn't just made in a manufacturer's shop. I like to say I'm a designer's original. (laughs) That when God made me, the mold was broken. That at the moment I try to be like you or try to be like you, I actually devalue the beauty of who he created me to be. That I was never created to be like somebody. The only person I was created to be like was Jesus. Everybody else, it is beautiful to see them in their own lane. So when I look at life and I say, wow, that brought you success, great, that's your success, but my success should mimic your success. I should have my own expression of God's beauty flowing through me. I love the way 
that last week in the message that Pastor Daniel preached, he had these I ams. I am blessed. I am loved. I wore my chosen shirt. I am chosen. Hey, listen, can I help you? Whenever you have a bad day, just pull out Ephesians and just start saying over yourself, I am. I am who God, just all of the things that God says I am. But I want you to understand this one point that in Christ, you are God's masterpiece. That in Christ, I am God's masterpiece. And here are three things that I want you to know in relationship to being God's masterpiece. These, listen, these are going to be good. I'm just telling you in advance. So buckle your seatbelt. If you're at home, listen, put the cereal down. Just for a moment. Get your pen out. You're going to need these. These are great. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You are not a mistake or an accident. I don't care how you got here. I know people that got here because they got here because of a, a rape or a molestation or they got here from means that aren't so favorable. Do you know what? Your parents are only the vehicle that God used to get you here. He wanted you here on purpose for a purpose. So it doesn't matter what neighborhood you were born to or who your parents are, your family line or your family name. The fact of the matter is God wanted you here and he just used them to get you here. It is their privilege to be your parents because God used them no matter how to get you here look at Psalms 139 13 through 16 for you are created for you created my innermost or my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Listen to this. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to pass. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And when you find out why you're here, it changes everything. I, I simply believe that when we understand our purpose, our identity should never be found in the purpose, but that the purpose is wrapped up in the identity. Because if you can't separate your who from your do, you'll never fully do what you're supposed to do. I can never be tied into the fact that I'm Pastor Tony Gilmore. Because what if God shifts it and doesn't call me pastor anymore and calls me something else? Am I now lost because pastor isn't in front of my name? Do you know the name that gives me my identity? Christ follower, Christian, son of God, heir of the king. That's who I am. And if God decides to change what I do, I never lose who I am because I'm tied into him for who I am. The second thing, I think I put this second, but really this is my favorite. Your presence is an answer to someone's prayer. Your presence is an answer to someone's prayer. I know you may not have thought about this your whole life, but the simple fact that you are breathing is the fact that God created you as an answer to somebody's prayer. You're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I'm glad you asked. You're so astute. 
Exodus 3, 9, and 10. This is God talking to Moses. And he says, I've heard the cries of the Israelites, and I've seen the way the Egyptians have made life hard for them. So now I'm sending you. I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen how they've been treated. And now I'm sending you. I'm not coming down myself. I'm sending you. And if you want to look at this, when God looked at Gideon, he said, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm sending you. When God looked at Deborah, I heard the cries of my people and I'm sending you. When Mordecai needed someone to go before the king, I heard the cries of my people, Esther, and I'm sending you. God answers the cries of people with you. He's looking, he's like, I saw a need in eternity future. And I crafted you, shaped you in your mother's womb, and I placed in you everything you need to meet the need of where you are. You are not born at this time in history by accident. You are here on purpose, and God wanted you here. I know this is an uncomfortable season, and many of us just want to get past it all. But listen, when you embrace the fact that the simple fact that I am on earth and breathing right now in 2020 is evident that God has made me as an answer to something that's going on right now. You are an answer to someone's prayer. And then the last one, and this was the one that gave me context for my life. God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. He uses everything in your life. Nothing's wasted. And the very thing that you're the most ashamed of is the thing that God wants to use as a message through you to help somebody else. The very thing that you're unwilling to deal with and unwilling to face is the very thing that God's saying, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's face this. Let's deal with this. Because I want to deliver you so you can help deliver somebody else. And when we understand that God uses everything, we're reminded of Romans chapter 8 and 28, where he says, and we know that all things, say all things. All things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I love it in the Amplified because it says that God makes all things fit into his plan. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So when you look at your life, the things that you're most ashamed of, the things that you're most embarrassed about, God is saying, no, I want to use that. I remember sitting and it's like, God, why did my mom have to have a bipolar disorder? Why did I have to walk through the challenges that I walked through? And can I be honest with you? I was mad at God for a minute. And I'm, oh, let me be, not, not the before Christianity mad, the after you come to Christ mad. <laughs> and I remember feeling like, why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to navigate that? And this was the part that got me, that I survived. <laughs> that what took a lot of other people out that caused a lot of other people to go in so many different directions, I survived it. And not only did God survive, help me survive it, but he healed me through it. 
and he healed me to the point where what I couldn't talk about from a stage before, I can talk about every time I get on a stage. He healed me to a point where when I see someone broken or hurting or messed up, that my I have a lens, I have a laser focus to go into the world and pull them out of the mess. I tell people this, it takes an ex-drug addict to go back to a current drug addict to say God can deliver from drugs and alcohol. It takes a, a divorced person to come out of that and say somebody that's going through a divorce, I know you feel like life is over, but God has a plan on the other side of this thing. It takes a parent who's walked through challenges with their child to say, I know what you're experiencing, but God delivered my child. He can deliver your child too. God uses everything. There is nothing wasted with God. It just means I've got to embrace what it was to go to where he wants me to go. You know, I love Shakespeare. I love going to the parks and seeing Shakespeare in the park. And I took my family one day. We lasted to the first act. <laughs> They're like, this is boring. I'm like, all right, let's go. I went home and watched the rest on TV because they had it on TV too. But I love the arts, plays, music, artistry, why? Because it gives an expression of the artist. And I remember looking at the Sistine Chapel, looking at the photos of the Sistine Chapel and how beautiful, oh my God. I guess the closest thing here would be going to the Cathedral of the Basilica. And if you've ever been in there, the sense of awe that I have when I walk in there looking at the tapestry, the colors, the, the paintings, and I imagine what it was like for Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel. He painted it between 1508 and 1512. And I imagine this, that when he was painting or started, he would put certain colors together, certain lines together, and the people walking by were like, what's that? Huh, why did he put this color here? What's that gonna be? What's this gonna turn into? And I believe every year, because it took four years, people were like, what is that? What's that gonna be? But here's the thing. Michelangelo knew what he was painting. Nobody else did. And so while everybody else is trying to figure out what the artist is doing, the artist knew what he was doing the whole time. He knew that he would have to put blue here because blue would actually have to mix with yellow at some point to make green. He knew that he would have to put different colors together and nobody knew but him. And this is what I learned in this in my life, that there are moments where we have no idea what God is up to. We have no idea why he allowed us to go through what he allowed us to go through. We have no idea why we had the childhood that we had, why we went through that divorce, why we didn't go to school the way that we wanted to. But he is the master artist articulating and putting together the pieces and tapestry of our lives. And when he puts it all together, together it's going to make a beautiful painting that is going to make the world be in awe 
And that's how he does our lives. When I look, I'm 50 now. And I joke with people. Because now that I'm 50, I've lost my filter. I don't know where it went, but it was like from 49 to 50, the filter left. It's actually been beautiful. For those of you that are over 50, you know what I'm talking about. It's a great thing not to care what anybody thinks anymore. It's beautiful. But it was, it took me years to look at my mom's situation, what I went through in school, what I went through as an adult, to see how God was weaving it all together to make the ministry that he's given me to help other people come out of their self. Today, I want to help you. I know you don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But what I've learned in my life and what I've learned through scripture, you are God's masterpiece. And every part of your life, he's weaving together to make a beautiful painting that is going to wow the world. But you have got to let them do it. You've got to embrace it. And this is what I close with. You've got to let God restore you. See, paintings at times have to be restored because of time, age, or whatever. And God showed me something one day, that there's one thing, when something's refurbished, it's taken to be like new. But when it's restored, it is restored to its original state of being. God today says to you, you are my masterpiece. <laughs> Let me restore you to the original state of being that I can use you to impact somebody else's life. I, I know you got a lot of whys. Just let my brush paint over your whys, connect the dots, and bring you to the place where I can get the greatest usage out of you. Today, if you don't know Christ the Savior, It feels like a bunch of random acts that are just weaving through our life and you can't get above, you can't get over. And you honestly are stuck listening to the monger 24-7 without any reprieve. But Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead for you. Just for you. If you were the only person on the earth, he'd have done it just for you. And he says in this moment, let me restore you to your original state that I had in mind when I had created you, when I formed you in your mother's womb. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me, whether you're at home or in the house. And we're going to be restored to that original state. Father, in the name of Jesus. And this, just, just repeat after me. Let's practice. Even if you are, let's practice so no one feels alone. Father, I thank you that today I bring my heart to you and you're receiving me. I believe that Jesus died and rose to make me right with you. 
to give me life with you. So today, I surrender. And I thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want you to do me a favor. And I just want you to raise your hand. If you've never prayed that prayer before, amen, amen. And so today I want to pray for you because God has something so great in store for you that you can't even imagine what it is. But you've got to allow him to restore you to the original state of the masterpiece that you are. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today. God, first of all, I come against the thought, the voice, the enemy, the monger that constantly criticize and berates them. Father, I pray that they would open their eyes and have revelation knowledge of who you created them to be. And that they would, with all of their might, run after the purposes and plans for which you put them on the earth. Father, I thank you today that you hear us and you answer us. And I thank you that you are producing a beautiful work of art in us. In Jesus' name, amen.